For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshi.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. (laughs) Sandy, stop (laughs) laughing every time I say that. All right, folks, this is episode two of our newly renamed show, and we're still adjusting to the name. So you're going to hear this for a little while. But this episode is essentially an update on the very first episode of our original podcast, episode one called Story. And you can go back and listen to that episode from three years ago almost. And we felt like in three years of running a business, building a friendship, and having a podcast, a lot has changed. And so we wanted to share some of the ways that our lives and our business are different. We think it'll be just a glimpse into this middle period of business. We often hear about the beginning part of someone's story. And then we often hear about the end, either the tragic end of a business's life or the exit or the great big sale or the great win or whatever it is. But it's often the messy middle that consumes our lives and makes running a business worthwhile. And so we're going to share a little bit about that messy middle. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's almost been three years, almost exactly three years. And when you were just before we hit record, you were describing what we were doing and what we had just done three years ago. And it is so interesting to reflect back when we had just launched the podcast, just partnered together, just walked away from a round of possible funding, you know, and we really were and felt a lot of uncertainty about what we were doing, like excited and determined, but we didn't have the confidence that we have now. I think it'll be interesting to kind of 
to hash it out of what's happened in the last three years. Yeah. And not everyone in the world had a podcast back mm-hmm. then either, right? So in the podcasting world, a lot has changed as well. I mean, pretty much no one else we knew had a podcast. And we're like, we want to be like the Gimlet Media Podcast. And we want to be like startup and <laughs> startup we're going to do all of this. Out. Like we're going to be like NPR. And so, I mean, we went into this with very, a very different set of expectations than what actually panned out. But I do feel like we've authentically shared our story to some degree and bits and pieces of our lives and our business story and our partnership. And I think we have a different story now as anyone would who evolves and grows. And anyway, so here's a peek into it. So Sandy, what is most different in your mind Like, what are some of the differences that you feel between now and three years ago when we first hit record on those microphones? I think the biggest difference for me is that I trust myself more than I did before, that I have a level of self-confidence that I didn't back then, as I just mentioned. And I think it, it comes from trying and failing, trying and succeeding, but never giving up and knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Like personally, I'm going to be a fine, right? So there's like a bit more comfort with let's see what happens. Let's hire this person and see what happens. Let's try and build this and see what all of that kind of attitude. I was a little bit more tentative and fearful and unsure back then. And now it's like, there's not much that you could say, let's try this, Sandy. And I you know, there's not much that I would say no to other than merchandise right now. Merchandise. Well, don't worry. You don't have to worry about that. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would say the same. I would also say, you know, as I reflect back, I feel like so many times in our show up until this point, we've talked about the hard parts and the parts that maybe didn't work out the way we wanted. But as I think back on the last three years and what has changed, I feel just tremendous gratitude and joy for those three years. And even though in the moment, a lot of experiences felt challenging, but there were so many positive experiences. Just, I feel like a completely different person. And when we were talking about this new show and she spoke, one of the things that I've just been talking to you about recently was how much I really want us to focus on this idea that business and entrepreneurship is this pathway towards self-actualization and self-realization where I can't think of a better choice you can make that will test you and help you to figure out what you're made of and help you to challenge yourself and evaluate yourself and put yourself in a position to take radical leaps forward in your mindset and in your lifestyle and just in every conceivable way. You know, we often have tragedies or things that happen in our lives that challenge us. Um, But this is like entrepreneurship is something that's more of a choice. And so I feel like that's part of what I want to share. And in particular, in this episode, the choices that you and I have made in the last three years have deeply, at least in my, I'm just only going to speak for myself, but has have deeply affected who I've become as a person. Do you not think, let me first say that I think what you're trying to say is like, sometimes we meet adversity in life, like a death or an illness, something horrible and awful. And people are always saying, Oh, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you got through it. And you get through it because you don't have a choice. And the difference with entrepreneurship as an adversity is that you do have a choice. And so there is a deeper learning that needs to go on because you do have a choice. Like I feel like you evolve faster because you always have a choice to leave. You always have a choice to quit. So my question to you is, 
Do you think if you had stayed in a law career that you would not have been challenged and grown as much as you have with entrepreneurship? To some degree, I still have a law career. So let's just let's just put that aside. But it, but I just mean 100%. Yeah, I mean, if I had... Like didn't go into. If I had stayed on the path that I was on, I would say it was more of founding and running my own nonprofit and teaching at a university it was much more of a path that made sense for who I was in my life and what my experiences and choices had been up until that point. And this departure, now six years ago, this departure to choose entrepreneurship. And for me, I never thought I was giving up the other thing. I always thought that this was an and. Again, part of the and she spoke, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we're complicated, multifaceted people. Um, But when I decided to take this on, I never thought I was giving that up. And ultimately, though, in many ways, I did give it up. And I I think that that's, I guess, maybe where you're getting at, Sandy, is I feel like if I had kept on that path, my life would have been much more predictable. Even though starting an organization and teaching at law school right after graduating from it is an unconventional life, for me and who I was, it was not unpredictable at all. I mean, that's what made sense. Like if you had asked anybody who knew me, you know, what is this human being going to be doing in their adult life? That would have been a reasonable answer. But me starting a software company from my bedroom in North Carolina, where my husband was working at the time with a tiny little baby, a one-year-old baby crawling around at my feet was the exact opposite of what anyone would have ever predicted I would be doing. And because of that, I've encountered challenges and obstacles that I wouldn't have in my more predictable life. But I've also learned so much about not only technology, like building tech skills and understanding basic coding and understanding the way that systems work. I have just simply evolved into a different person that now when I'm put in the context of my old life and my old world, I'm just much more effective and interesting and dynamic and I have so much more to offer. And it's the same thing in my personal life. Like I, I'm so proud of the person I've become because of taking on <laughs> entrepreneurship and I'm not proud of everything, but you, do you get it? Like I thought you were going to say, I'm so much more interesting now that I've taken on entrepreneurship. Interesting. Oh, well, I don't, I think that's totally debatable, but I think I was interesting before when I was jet setting off to very dangerous far off countries doing human rights work. I think that was equally interesting. No, I, but I, I just, I feel like so much more power because I took on something that wasn't expected and I chose to do something that I never planned to do that was harder for me than what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? It was like, here's the path. It's not easy. But it's it's I, I sort of have it laid out in front of me and I see a way to make a living and build a life. And the other piece for me, Sandy, was that I was doing work that everyone was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're doing that. You're saving the world. So I don't have to do it. I mean, it was that sense like, oh, you're you're going to protect us from climate change. I was like, not really. I'm telling you about it. And I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm trying my best to show how this can happen in communities that are already confronting this, but this is not going to save you, you know, and, and getting that message across. But I was always at every dinner party and at every bar and people were like, oh my God, it's so awesome what you're doing. I wish I had the courage to do what you're doing. And it got to the point that I was just disgusted with all of that. And that's part of why it felt so good to try on something else, right? And so now people are just confused. And I kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah, confusion or just they don't have a clue what you actually do. What is the one thing that you've changed most? Like personality, the one thing about you that has changed the most in the three years? Yeah, I would say it's also confidence. I think that's what you were saying. Yeah, 
It's mm-hmm. absolutely confidence and competence to handle competence, random, unexpected challenges or events. Bring it on. We can handle yeah, it. Yeah, what like, are you going to do? Bring it on. What, what's Hi, today going to do? That's interesting. Yeah. I've seen something like that once before yeah. or, or something. You know, like I think that's what we do as software founders and, and business owners every day is like, what's going to happen today? How are we going to solve it? What about you? I mean, what would you say the biggest change for you is? I think it's the appreciation of my mind. That sounds so dumb. But what I mean is like, I can solve anything. Before, I think I was more like, I don't know how to do that. And I don't know if I'll ever figure out how to do that. And that's like really hard. And for someone else who's more skilled or educated or trained or whatever. And now it's like, no, no, I'm not afraid to say I don't know. I'm not afraid. Like we just hired a new developer for our team who's doing UX for us, user experience and user design. And I don't know anything about it other than being a user, but we're just like working with him so well. And we're just like asking questions and he's doing it. And I think two years ago, you said, let's this guy would have been like, ah, I'm not sure that I know enough. And I think I've just, re- I'm just let that dropped it like done. Like, of course, of course you don't know it all. And don't pretend to, and not that I did before, but I would like hide and not try if I didn't truly understand and know something, which is a very typical female trait, right? And so now it's like, it's like the whole attitude, like bring it on. Like, what do we need to do? I'll figure it out. What problems do you have? I'll solve it. There's nothing that can phase me anymore. And it's the, my mind, I can use my mind. Yeah. No, I love that, Sandy. And I, I would say where I thought you were going at that at the beginning was a sense of intelligence because I feel like when we first started this podcast, and maybe you don't want me to say this. Yeah, you can say it. I'll say things about you. <laughs> You were super insecure about your intelligence. And I've always been like, why are you doing that? Why would you think that? How could you possibly feel insecurity around your ability to talk intelligently about the kinds of things we talk about? Because we talk all the time Mm -hmm. and you're always just fine. We're equal. We're fine. And I felt like for a long time you were holding back or insecure about that. And I don't see that anymore. And I'm so glad because it's it was a shift when the microphone was on a bit. And I don't see that now you're just being you. So I'm grateful for that. And I see it. And I'm so glad that you're not afraid of that part of yourself. Yeah, it's it's work. And I think it's it all has to do if I don't have a it used to be if I didn't have a degree in that, I couldn't talk about it intelligently. That was the issue. Like I can talk about footwear and biomechanics confidently and intelligently. And I thought that was my only arena that I could play in, right? Because I was formally trained in it. And now, yeah, I don't I don't think that anymore. Amen. So Amen to that. All right. What surprised you? What is the most surprising thing that happened over this last three years? <laughs> wow. She's thinking really hard. I'm thinking really hard. I don't know. Nothing and everything. I mean, does, <laughs> does that help? I feel like if I look back on the last three years, it was sort of predictable. And at the same time, when events were happening, they seemed very surprising. (laughs) But now that I see them as part of a larger, the fabric of a larger narrative, I don't feel like any of it was really... when you zoom out. Yeah. If I zoom out, I feel like... like, Oh, that was just fine. Well, or it wasn't... Or that made sense why that happened. Sometimes when things have happened in our company, in the moment, it felt shocking. And then when I reflect back on it a year or two later, it's like, oh, of course that happened. And now I can see why. But sometimes you just need that perspective. And here's the other piece about that. The longer, for me, the longer I've been in business, the less surprised I am by anything. So that maybe is is something to take away. If you're newer in business, like (laughs) there are things that happen now sort of on a weekly basis that if they happened three years ago would have been a really big deal. And now I don't even bat an eyelash at them. It's just 
that's just how it is. Like random things happen all the time and that's part of it. And so you, it becomes normalized that things happen. What about you? What has surprised you the most? I think it's the growth of our inner circle. And again, it's like looking back. Yeah, like, of course, of course that would, but it's growing more than software, right? Like I thought that software would be like our 100% focus. And then we'd have this little side thing of inner circle and inner circle has taken a life on its own. Like it's just grown into this thing that is so delightful to be part of. I think the success of those that we are able to help the successes coming from being a participant in Inner Circle. I'm surprised at how we've evolved it into the complex entity that it is now. Like we keep adding and improving and we didn't set out to do this thing. Like this was sort of a side idea to help people succeed on the software, but it is, you know, has a life of its own and it's really beautiful. And we now have someone who's helping us and managing it, um, helping with the community and the communications. It's kind of amazing. Like I'm a little bit surprised at that. I feel like that was a really intentional choice we made. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not surprised that it's successful, but I, I'm surprised that we decided to do it. So I guess that's like, it's more so interesting, Sandy, like being surprised at your own choices versus like exterior circumstances. That is interesting. I'm really proud of it. And I'm proud of the software too, of course. But I think in the beginning days, I did not, like I clearly knew what we want to do with the software, but with the inner circle and the coaching, I don't think I was as clear. We were not as clear back then. And it has just evolved into this amazing, amazing thing. But I know what you mean, like looking back, like, of course, right. You know, that is, it makes all, it all makes sense. But I think if I was like talking to Sandy of three years ago, I would be like, you have how many members? Like that's how much revenue do you get from inner circle? I think I would have been surprised. So here's the thing, though, that I want to just point out for folks who don't know us very well. And we should probably give a 30-second overview, Sandy, of who we are. Sure. Because some people are new to any episode. But the thing that I want to say about this is that when you and I first met, we were building separate software companies mm -hmm. in separate industries. And you still have your other software company as well. Mm -hmm. But we knew very shortly after meeting each other that we wanted to do something together. That's part of our shared story. I think we were lonely in building our own companies. I wanted to learn from you and I wanted to run a business with another person that I was aligned with, but not the exact same as. And I just, I felt this like deep sense that we would work together almost immediately. And I think you did too. Mm -hmm. yep. And so, but we planned on building this other thing outside of the scope of our two companies and outside of the scope of software that was this community focused coaching sort of spiritual <laughs> what's it called samsara creative samsara creative yes and we started that i forgot about that and it's not the same as in our circle for sure because it's many years later now we're different people and we have different companies but it was it's actually eerily similar to what we've done with inner circle and so you know you and i plotted this out on a beach in mexico and we had so many conversations and we actually tested the idea. We got a first round of clients. And then here's what happened is that Jenny got into a startup accelerator and panicked and asked Sandy to join Namastream. And that's how we came to be where we are. But we initially, when we started working together and collaborating, wanted to build something a lot like Inner Circle. And I think we both were like a little bit spiritually dissatisfied with software being all that it was because it wasn't enough human connection. And I didn't want to just grow a big company and supervise a bunch of 
staff, a bunch of employees or contractors or technical specialists and just sort of have this inhuman business. I wanted to build something that was very collaborative and human. And I didn't think that was possible as part of a software company at the time. Well, there was no examples, right? And that's what we were kind of like, I think we were just sort of madly searching for someone to show us how to do this in a different way, because there were so many things that frustrated us with that stereotypical, like male, ego-driven, profit-driven way of doing business. And we just sort of rebelled against it, but we didn't necessarily have all the answers, right? Because there was just no examples. Now, there's many examples, but at the time, it was like, there has to be a different way to do this. Like, can we just have these conversations about internet and selling and businesses on, you know, online businesses? There was just nothing beautiful about any of it. No, it was just spiritually, aesthetically like a desert, but not a good desert, not like a nice, flourishing, <laughs> di- biodiverse desert. <laughs> it was just like a, des- a cultural desert, a cultural wasteland. So we're making that. And I think there's nobody really doing what we're doing, which is super hybrid. And and I love that because so much of the commentary we've had on this show has been about the relationship or the juxtaposition between technology and culture, technology and society. And we're going to do a lot more. We're going to have a lot more conversations about this in this new iteration of our show, because this is what we talk about and what's interesting to us and what is relevant to everyone who's listening. But I think that what we're trying to do without maybe even intending to do it is to build a company that is straddling both of those worlds, that is both one foot into the technology space and one foot into the very human connection space. Mm -hmm. And really, that's a novel idea. But that's what our lives are comprised of for the most part. In this culture, it's now this podcast is being recorded in early 2020. And that's what it looks like to be a human right now is to have very much a significant part of your life connected on the internet to other people and then have this other human offline tiny part of your existence. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com. At the time, we were so attracted to building something online because of how we could live, like the freedom that it gave with our days and picking up our children and being home with our children and just the flexibility of being able to move throughout the day without being sort of bookend by a start and end time at a traditional job, even though I did own my own pedorthic clinic and retail store years ago. I mean, it was my business, but I still had nine to nine. Like there was still like an opening and closing. There was still staffing. There was still all these constraints. And so the idea of being able to run an online business as a woman doesn't even matter that I'm a woman, as a person who wants to have freedom in their lives was so, so, so compelling. So over the years, my drive and my excitement to share and to teach others to live a life the way that we do has just snowballed. Everyone needs to have their own online business in my mind right now, you know, because I know that's not for everyone, but I just like it's so fantastic that it baffles me. Like, why isn't everybody doing this? Well, and again, it's an and too. That's part of why the show is called And She Spoke. The and part is really important because 
you don't have to give anything up that you currently have and that you currently love in order to build the kind of business that we've built. Both of us have entire other parts of our lives that are not this. You know, I mean, this is a really important part of our lives for sure for both of us, but it's not the only thing that exists. And plenty of people are able to do this on the side and do this part-time and do it, you know, in fits and starts. I would just say that the timing, you know, there's always sort of the sense of what are the real opportunities of the age or like, where could you buy a house right now that in 10 years you can cash out as if it's like 1985 in California? <laughs> like that's the kind of thinking to have is like, what is the thing to do right now before something changes? And it, maybe this won't change for a long time, but right now building a business on the internet, especially if you can do it in, in a way that aligns with your values and the way you want to spend your time and what brings you joy and what challenges you in interesting ways, like that's all possible and it's lucrative. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges any of us have is around money. I mean, everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone I've ever met has baggage and conflicting feelings around money. And what better way to work through that than to build a business and sort of just prove to yourself that you can address those issues in your life? Yeah, exactly. I think I think that is well said, Jenny. Tell us, what was your life before starting this company? Like, where were you before? For those of you who haven't heard our full stories, I had recently pretty much left my identity and career behind after having a baby. I mean, I was in the middle of working with my co-founder at the time to transition some work we were doing at a university into a nonprofit organization. I had just two years prior graduated from law school and spent the previous two years teaching at the law school, building an organization around climate justice issues and human rights, traveling extensively around the world to remote locations where climate impacts were being initially felt. And I had my daughter and some things changed with my job. And I also had a bit of an ultimatum from my husband at the time. Well, he's still my husband, but he I had an ultimatum at the time. Bit of an ultimatum that, you know, now that we have a baby, you're not going to be going off to these remote places and maybe only being accessible by satellite phone. I mean, that was part of the, <laughs> the deal. Like we're not, you're not going to put yourself into danger when there's a small child depending on you. And so fair enough. That was part of our agreement. Not not everyone in that situation would make that agreement, but that was the agreement that I made. And I felt ready to stop some of that, you know, take a break. It was really intense work. I don't even know how completely it came to be, but my husband got a really good job offer in a tiny little town in North Carolina. And a lot of my family live in that state. And we had a brand new baby. And, you know, I was in that shock of having a child for the first time and having a newborn and not having any family anywhere. And we left my work and my identity that I'd been building in Seattle. And I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I was still doing, hanging on to some degree to my work and, and transitioning again to this nonprofit, but I didn't have a huge plan. I knew I needed to fundraise and I hated fundraising. I just despised it for a lot of reasons that we can have an entire episode around. And so I don't even know. It came across... Well, I do know how, it, how I came to learn about online business 
in online marketing and online entrepreneurship. That's a whole other story. So it came across my sphere of <laughs> consciousness that this stuff existed right when I was in the phase of having to start seriously thinking about fundraising for this baby nonprofit that was spinning out of the university. And I thought, you know what? Rather than going out and having cocktails with people who've cashed out of big tech companies, why don't I just start one? I mean, it was the most naive thing. I didn't know anything about technology. My background has been in politics and government and nonprofits and in academics up until that point. But I thought, what the hell? You know, when you have a kid, I feel like motherhood shifts you, motherhood changes you. And I want, I was pretty off the grid. I mean, I was in a tiny little town in the South, knew very, pretty much no one where we were living. And my husband was working at a factory <laughs> down the road all day. And I was home with a little baby, listening to lots of podcasts, reading lots of books about business, discovered Seth Godin. And, you know, one thing led to another. So that's how I came to, to start the company that we run together. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a roundabout story. And I intended to start the company to fundraise for my own organization, basically to fund my ability to do human rights and climate change work without having to seek external funding. And that was my vision for doing it. The unknown part of that is it's not like it's a windfall of cash in the first six months of starting the business, right? It takes a little while. It does. It takes a little while. Yeah, that's true. But that's not what we were told, Santi. No, I, I mean, <laughs> so true. Just, just to be clear, I was a little naive. Yeah. And what about you? What was your life like before you started building a software company? I have always been an entrepreneur and owned my own business, whether that was as a solopreneur, like a practitioner. I did gate analysis and custom orthotics for many, many years. And then when we moved back to Calgary, I opened up a retail store combined with a orthotic clinic. So brick and mortar retail and clinics. We had staff, we had a lot of inventory and I loved it for many, many years. I loved the staff. I loved taking these young kinesiology students, giving them a part-time job that really meant a lot to their careers where they could actually apply some of their anatomy and physiology and biomechanics. But there was just a day when I woke up and, you know, like you hear so often in so many people's burnout stories is that I just I woke up and I just didn't want to do anymore. I just couldn't talk to people anymore. I really despised the retail side of things, was frustrated with the amount of money we had in inventory. Retail in Canada is tough. I never got into business to be in retail. It was just a nice sort of add-on to the clinical portion of what I was trained in. So I just decided that I, I had a little boy in grade three at the time, and I just wanted to sell the business and do something else. And I actually was going to do traditional Chinese medicine. I was applied and got into a school here and was primed to do that. If I don't want to trade my time for a certain amount of dollars, I don't want to be caught up in this game of like, you know, working by the hourly rate. I love that I can be in my own business and set my own hours and all that, but I still, you know, I want to make money when I'm doing, when I want money to come in all times of the day. So that's, so I just decided that I wasn't going to do that. I needed something totally different. And that meant software. And you and I listened to a very influential podcast way, 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 way back about the power and the amazing business model that software can be with recurring revenue. And so I enrolled in a course, which you also enrolled in, and that's where we met. And I started a company called Connectable.biz and you started Nomstream.com. The rest is history. We met and now we're partners in Nomstream. I think about this and... There are so many other ways this could have played out, Sandy. I think that the message that I would share about this story, our separate stories, and then our, our story that's existed together, is that 
the only thing that sort of sets us apart from it, I mean, we everyone has their own unique, interesting story about their life, right? So what sets us apart in this situation is that A, we took action initially, independently. Lots of people hear that building a business is possible, that entrepreneurship is this amazing vehicle to elevate your life and to make shifts happen that otherwise couldn't happen. Because if you think about what you're born into, we're all sort of born into a certain income level and certain opportunities. And then you can go to school or you can get certain jobs. And I mean, there's just such a limited (laughs) amount that you can achieve through that. It's just so much work. I did all of that. I wasn't making that much money. You know, I had a degree. I had graduated at the top of my class from Berkeley. And then I went to Yale for graduate school. And then I got a full scholarship to law school. And I was still making not very much money. (laughs) And so I felt like Huh. Wow, that's interesting. I did all of the things. I mean, I had my own weird path of getting there. I was an activist. I had left high school early. So getting into college at Berkeley was a challenging prospect for me. But I did it and I worked my tail off forever. I was in college and graduate school and law school forever. And I still felt like, wow, is this all that this is? Like I have all kinds of opportunities. I worked with multiple Nobel Peace Prize winners. I had tons of accolades and was on stages around the world. So I had this career, but I still felt like I'm not earning a reasonable amount of money. I mean, let's just be honest, you know, I'm not earning a reasonable amount of money for who I am and what I can contribute and what I've challenged myself to go through and rise above. And I was angry about it. And I was angry that building an organization that had a ton of initial support behind it and very generous funding because the work was really good, is really good. The organization still exists. It's important work. And yet I would still be having to go out with hat in hand and and ask wealthy people for money. That was what I saw as being my job the rest of my life because that's what you do running a nonprofit. And so even though I was skilled and intelligent and dynamic and was doing novel work, I still saw this, I'm going to never really make a lot of money and I'm going to have to beg wealthy people for money for the rest of my life. And that's a despicable task. I was so disgusted with it. Um, So anyway, we take action. We decided, hey, that's my reality. And that's not good enough for me. I want something better. I know there's something better. And then what we did, Sandy, is we didn't quit. We haven't quit. Six years in and five and a half years in, whatever it is, we haven't quit. But we could have so many times. But we could have. We could have. And I'm, I'm so I'm sort of surprised by it, but I'm also not surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> of course, I didn't quit. Of course, you didn't quit. Of course, we didn't quit. Of course not. Of course, we didn't quit. And yet it would have been so easy to quit so many times. Looking back at the past two years, there's probably two times I can think of where it was like, do we want to do this? Like, do we really want to do this? Right. And it's just that's the adversity. And you've got to be all in at all times. It's it's just such an interesting thing. Yeah. And most people quit. <laughs> Almost everyone quits. And so, you know, I posted something in our inner circle community that I had read on a blog or something this week, last week, that was about this idea of how to really set yourself up for success in business. And I wish I could find where I saw this because I feel like I should be quoting them, but it, I'll just paraphrase the idea. The whole idea, and I re- it really resonated with me, is that you should build a life that reduces your likelihood to quit. You should basically protect yourself so that you don't quit. Like Do whatever you need to do to insulate 
the project you're working on or the dream you're working on or the business you're working on so that you don't quit because quitting is so easy. So you have to like the number one priority as an entrepreneur has to be building systems and tools and mindset shifts, whatever else you need to do to prevent yourself from quitting. We should do a whole podcast on that, Jenny, about the concept of quitting and why people quit. And how many people quit. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, I feel like it's like it's lonely this many years in. You know, it's a sense of like so many people who I interacted with five years ago and was, you know, who seemed equally excited about yeah. building a company. Or I always thought doing really well. Or thought we're doing really well, much better than we were. Mm-hmm. Or it was actually none of that was actually true. And it didn't actually happen. Right. It's like last woman standing. How long can you stick it out? The last one standing wins. I mean, there's no winner. We can all win. <laughs> there's abundance. We're winning in our own little world. Yeah. We're winning. But three billion other people could also be winning but they're not. And so I think there's this idea of what makes it different. So I think that, you know, that you asked about what surprises me the most. And I would actually say that that's not about us, but what surprises me the most through this experience of starting and running a company is how many people around us have quit. It's startling. Really, really is. It's interesting to watch. All right. Should we move into joy and hustle? Okay, let's do it. Well, you have the joy, a totally off topic, interesting, eccentric joy. It totally eccentric. So I got hit by some Instagram ads for a company called Third Love, which I did not realize that you know and purchased from, which is probably why I which saw Which is in- why you saw the <laughs> yeah. Instagram ads, just yeah. to be clear. So they make bras and they are the best I have ever purchased. And imagine doing that online. But the difference for me is that they do, they have a great little quiz that helps you select. And it was so good. They fit so well and they have half cup sizes. So amazing. And I love them. And I bought four, I think four, four or five, and I'm throwing everything else out and I'm just going to purchase from them. And it's just now that I know the size, it's easy, done, don't have to think about it. In Canada, it, the shipping and the duty is a little bit, a little bit excessive, but it's it turns into a very expensive bra. But I think that you know, if you go to an expensive lingerie shop, you're going to pay that money anyway. So I'm okay with it. And it just was so easy and such a good fit. I'm so happy with them. I'm glad you found third love. See, I don't even tell you about things (laughs) like this. I've been wearing those bras for years and I don't even tell you because I just assume you're in Canada and you can't get them. Yeah. I made this. I like, (laughs) I talked to you. I don't know. I zoomed you the other day. I was like, Sandy, can you get Rent the Runway? And you're like, no. And I was like, God, it's hard to know what we can and can't get. It's so hard because I just once in a while, I'm like, oh, maybe you can get this. And then I try to ask you about it. And you're like, no. And so the hustle is the thing that I don't know if I can get in Canada, but I'm going to go downstairs right now and look after we finish. Okay. Well, the hustle. So the opposite of this, (laughs) the opposite of this, or maybe the same because of the Instagram ad connection, which you can put the pieces together when you watch this documentary, is uh, the Netflix film, The Great Hack which is a documentary that came out last year about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And I think every human being on the planet should watch this film. Sandy, you've you've read a book about this with some of the same mm-hmm. characters, actors, real people. Actually, they're not actors. Like actors in the sense of they played a role in the experience that took place, not actors because they're fictional actors. And we've talked a little bit about this as a global culture. We've talked about Cambridge Analytica and how it all played out. But in terms of the details and how the people who worked there came to work there and who they were and what their lives were like and why they did what they did, it is so freaking interesting. 
and important. It is. And I like I would say the same, like everyone, the book is Christopher Wiley. He wrote Mindfuck and he was the one who sort of started it, but then pulled out realizing what was happening. The intention of what they were trying to do was so innocent and positive and it just spun out of control. Did they talk about Steve Bannon? They show Steve Bannon getting Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Yep. It was so fascinating. No, you have to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. And it's our lives, right? Like it's even though Cambridge Analytica got shut down, you know that other people are doing this. And I mean, they say that like the guys who are interviewed in this film are like, yeah, just I mean, this is the future. This is the world we live in. And so I mean, the whole idea that there are 5,000 data points on every American, pretty much everybody that uses the internet, it starts with this professor at the Parsons School, who's kind of a lead person in the film, profiled in the documentary. And he's talking about like how many of you in his class to his students, how many of you have ever received an ad about something that you were talking about and think your phone is listening to you? I mean, that's how he starts the film and everyone raised their hand. And he's like, no, that's not what it was. It's because there's so many data points on you. Facebook and other advertising platforms know what to show you. you. They don't have to listen to you. They already know. They've already psychographically profiled you. And so there's this conversation that evolves in the in the documentary that talks about this whole idea that psychographic data is a weapon of war. It's really, it's something that's that's weaponized. I mean, it is, it's actually weaponized. And then do you have a human right to own and protect this data? And is this going to evolve human rights law in the future? And oh my God, I love this. I love it. And I want to watch it over and over again. And it's really troubling, but it's, it's our culture and it's, you can't just ignore it. But I think it's helpful to understand how it works. Like it's one thing to know that, that Facebook has all these, or whatever there's all these data points wherever they make him from but it's another thing to know like how do they get it how do they all these examples of how they get those data points what they do with it i didn't appreciate that like it was so informative like and so i agree with you that everyone should understand this and so the book is mindfuck by christopher wiley and the netflix documentary is called the great hack yeah the great hack it's so good. I want, I'm definitely reading the book now because I didn't get it after we talked about it. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't jump on that. Partly because I'm, I've been trying to read more fiction and relax more <laughs> like in my off hours. And not get all worked up about but Facebook. But then like, I can't help myself. Moth to a flame. So I'm going to get the book. But I would just say this is the reality that we live in. And you and I both engage in buying paid ads on the internet. And so part of my experience watching this in full transparency was this very ethical dilemma of am I perpetuating a system that I fundamentally don't believe in and think is flawed? And the truth is, to some degree, yes, but also, I mean, just operating in our society is doing that, right? I'm not at liberty to talk about my spouse's profession, but one day I will. And what (laughs) this person is working on, and, you know, it's scary stuff that goes on in terms of artificial intelligence and what our culture is becoming. And it's not hidden. There's nothing to hide that just read Wired magazine and, you know, watch the news and see what's coming. But I mean, we live in that reality where like people have jetpacks and like drone helicopters deliver food. And I mean, that's the world we live in now. And there is artificial intelligence that's able to look at, at your profiles and your behavior on the internet and pretty much predict what you're going to do and all this information about you. Um, And it's a danger to democracy. It's a danger to 
the future of humanity and, you know, not to get too heavy, but I think, you know, we sort of have a moral responsibility to watch this and understand it, even though we're, you know, those of you listening to pot, like we're all using electronic devices and perpetuating culture that's dangerous to the future of humankind. So we should be really aware of how our choices are affecting what evolves next. We should be smart about how we use our devices. And, you know, that's a whole other series of conversations, Sandy, but it's important to consider. Okay, I'm going to go run and see if we have it in Canada on our Canadian Netflix. You should go watch it. Everyone should go watch it. Please go watch it. And, you know, feel free to talk about it too. I think you can obviously email us to team at namastream.com. That's how you can reach us. Um, Our team does respond to everything in our inbox. And if you write us about the podcast, we would be certain to get that routed to one of us. I would love to, you know, if you feel like you don't have anyone to talk to about that stuff, feel free to reach out to us and maybe we'll find some space to create a community dialogue around this because, you know, I feel a sense of responsibility as someone who has co-founded a software company to participate in these honest conversations about what do these tools really mean in our lives and, and for our culture. Absolutely. All right, folks, we will see you next week. All right. Thanks, Jenny. Bye, everybody. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.